What's up, everybody? Matt Kajeski here, back again with the Odd Shopper channel, and today we're talking some college basketball bets. It's Super Tuesday, February the 13th. Before we get started, make sure to hit that thumbs up button, subscribe to the channel, and hit the notification bell so you know when this and all other content goes live. We're also brought to you by BetMGM, and they have a limited time offer for you guys. Click the link in the video description below. Make your first deposit of at least $5. Then make a $5 wager on any team, total market, whatever you'd like, and you will get $150 in the form of bonus bets. This is available to those of you in legal states with the exception of New York, Puerto Rico, and Nevada. If you or somebody you know has a gambling problem, please call or text 1-800-GAMBLER. Must be 21 or older to play in most areas. All right, looking back quickly at a pretty fun Monday night slate, some weird stuff. We'll start with Wake Forest. They fell to Duke. They lose by eight in a game, which was essentially a five-point game the entire time. And it was about the worst runout Wake Forest possibly could have had. Foul trouble, Efton Reed, essentially four fouls with 18 minutes left in the game. Had three fouls in the first half. And I know why they played him through it. I mean, this team is cooked if Efton Reed's not on the floor. He was absolutely doing work against Filipkowski on the inside. Couldn't keep his hands to himself. And then the biggest difference maker in the game eventually has to come off the floor because of fouls. It was a huge problem. They were also egregiously bad from three, like uncharacteristically bad. Six of 26, something like that was the figure, which is not Wake Forest game. This team shoots over 40%, collectively one of the best three-point shooting teams in the country. And they still kept this right around the spread. So I, I consider it a somewhat unfortunate beat. This is just what happens in college basketball. But that was tough to see. Wake Forest, we've been on the right side a couple times in the wrong side. As far as we got the total right late in the night, and then I did end up with a position on either West Virginia or the Kansas game. Kansas is just getting absolutely steamrolled. DeWan Harris played through his injury, but they just could not get past without McCuller and that was just an absolute bloodbath. Kansas in trouble. If they sustain any injuries, they're just getting nothing out of Timberlake or El Marco Jackson off their bench. But we'll spin this forward. We've got a bunch of games to talk about today. It's Super Tuesday, so plenty of marquee matchups. We'll kick things off in the Big 12. Iowa State takes on Cincinnati in a game that I do not understand the current line. You can find Iowa State plus one and a half which I think should be the other way, minus one and a half, but alas, it is not. I guess the real argument for maybe Cincinnati being favored in this spot is they're finally healthy. They got C.J. Frederick back, who's one of their better shooters, which should help things like effective field goal percentage. We'll get there in a second. But he only played two minutes. I mean, like, is he actually going to be part of the rotation? Probably not in a meaningful way. Victor Locken, their big center, he's down below 20 minutes in three straight games. I don't know what the deal is there. So Aziz Bandango has been having to play a ton for this team. The rotation is just an absolute mess, and I really question the high-end talent on the roster. I personally think Lockin is the best player for this team, and he's getting 17 minutes a game over their last three. It's just not sure what they're really doing. And this Iowa State team for, I guess, some of the struggles we thought they might have early in the season just has advantages everywhere, considerable advantages. This team is 32nd on offense, Cincinnati 81. Effective field goal percentage, they're 61st. Cincinnati's 194th. This team's having a lot of issues scoring. And now they're facing the third best defense efficiency-wise in the country, who's balanced everywhere. This team is 33rd on the inside. 
So you look at Bandango and Lockin on the other side, it's not, definitely not going to be smooth sailing. And Iowa State is very good at, with their guard defense. This team is second in the country at forcing turnovers. Cincinnati's 125th in turnovers committed, which isn't exactly a strong number themselves. And Iowa State has actually done a great job developing some of their depth, getting solid minutes out of guys like King in the front court. And they have numbers there, which if Lockin and Bendigo have solid games, at least Iowa State, who has fouled at times, has enough bodies to potentially counteract some of that strength inside with Cincinnati. So, I mean, I'm just very surprised this number is not flipped the other direction with a lot of the success Iowa State's having. And I mean, this team is shooting better really than they've ever shot this year. It's a top 100 three-point team. They're 76 in the country and just overall three-point percentage and getting a lot of great individual performances from this team. You have Taman Lipsy at 38%, fully healthy. Mumsilovich, the freshman, shooting 40% from threes, 6'8", just like a matchup nightmare now getting 33-ish minutes or more per game for this team. Just awesome roster here. We'll back Iowa State in a game which I think they should be the favorites, even though they hit the road. We're kind of going in order of, I think, just overall intrigue on this slate. So we'll turn to the Big East. Marquette takes on Butler. And this game is sneaky. You know, if the tournament started today, Butler's something like an 8-9 seed, which I think would come as a surprise to some people. Marquette's obviously pretty good, like a 2 or a 3 I took this at minus two and a half Marquette myself. I think four is actually fine. The big thing with Marquette is this team has been so hurt and they actually have one of the longer winning streaks in the country, despite playing through tons of injuries. Sean Jones is out for the year, but they played a stretch of the season without Chase Ross. Cam Jones missed a pair of games. And these are elite players for this team. You now basically have your full starting five back. Chase Ross is giving them elite minutes, played 25 in the last game. And Cam Jones still hasn't quite ascended back to his previous role. He's been in the mid twenties. And he was playing 30 to 33 minutes per game prior to that as one of the best shooters on this team. So not only do you have some positive regression just with your better players coming back, we've already seen this team ascending. It was two weeks ago that we're outside the top 203 point percentage. They've climbed all the way to 125. Again, this team was inside the top 100 last year, three point percentage with the same players. They're 50th in the country in three point rate. They're going to shoot a ton of them. And now they're finally starting to make their threes. And this team is composed a little differently than last year. They're playing a little better inside with some of the effective height. A lot of that coming from Oso and Joplin, but Ben Gold has given them solid minutes. This team is actually 27th in effective height. And that's the primary way you beat Butler, who has awesome guard play, but they're 176 at defending the interior. And they don't really have a strong big man you can trust. It's basically Thomas and Screen splitting minutes down there, and neither are viable defenders, especially when you have Oso in the pick and roll with Kolek, which is one of the most dangerous combos in the country. As long as Marquette shoots a reasonable percentage from three, this is a nightmare. Not to mention this defense is very unique. They're going to press you, force a lot of turnovers where they're 12th in the country. It's tough. On the other side, Butler forces no turnovers. 247th in turnovers forced. So just a lot of stylistic advantages. Marquette's way, an effective field goal percentage, 21 versus 99. That's huge. The only thing which might be a risk is this road trip for Marquette. They're Butler here, they're UConn this weekend. It's a very difficult stretch of road games for Marquette as they reach the tail end of the season. But they've got plenty of time in between to start preparing for UConn on Saturday. So I still think this is a value, Marquette's direction at the minus four. Next conference up, we're just going to bounce around all over the place here. To the SEC we go, Ole Miss takes on 
Kentucky, this is a tough game to handicap. Kentucky's been very injured of late, but I think this is the first time we're going to see them at full strength in a while. But I'm not sure it matters entirely. This team was hemorrhaging points prior to the injuries. So Wagner missed some time, and then you had Trey Mitchell out. But, I mean, this team, you just want to look back at their last seven games. You know, at the beginning of this stretch, Trey Mitchell and Wagner were both playing. So they they give up 96 points to Georgia in a, in a game they win. They play South Carolina, who's one of the slowest teams in the country. They lose. They gave up 79 then they play the Arkansas, maybe the worst team in the SEC outside of Vandy. Play an OT game against Florida. They lose and allow 94 points where you saw some really, really bad defense down the stretch from some of the freshmen. Then they give up 103 points to Tennessee. They beat Vanderbilt, who's the worst team in the conference, and they just give up 89 to Gonzaga. Some of these offenses are worse than Ole Miss. And when you just look at these offenses side by side, Ole Miss actually isn't too far behind Kentucky in a lot of areas. And at this point, I think we know Kentucky's game. They either outscore you or they're losing. Overall offensive efficiency, Kentucky's fourth. They're sick. Ole Miss is 22nd. And Ole Miss is 10th in the country in three-point percentage. This team actually has a lot of shooters, and they've been pretty consistent this year under Beard. So, I mean, individually, Matt Morrell, 39.5%. Jalen Murray, 43%. Even, like, Jamin Brakefield, shockingly, is at 37%, which really surprised me. Brandon Murray's also at 42%. You're getting awesome minutes out of these shooters. And Kentucky has no answer for this on defense. They don't have any answer for defense anywhere. And Kentucky, as far as them on offense, we know what they're going to do. Can Ole Miss slow them down? As far as how Ole Miss is comprised, this team is 15th in effective height. Kentucky's 26. So obviously you've got like Brand, Bradshaw on Yeso, Big Z, Trey Mitchell now expected back. You'll need bodies to defend those players on the inside, which I think this Ole Miss team actually has. Breakfield is 6'8". Musa Cisse, horrible on offense, but he's a seven-foot, and he's he's a seven-footer, and he's very strong on defense. Then Jamarian Sharp has played a lot more for this team. He's 7'5", giving them pretty solid minutes down there. So you do have bodies to contend with some of the depth for Kentucky. This looks like a track meet to me. And what I like about Ole Miss is they do slow it down a little bit. They're 247th in pace. They do a lot of things well. They're not a team that turns the ball over very much. Not that Kentucky forces them. They're rarely in foul trouble. So I think you do see this team stand up to Kentucky here and cover a spread at eight and a half. In my opinion, this is fairly close to efficient. So I'm not looking to take this if it moves to like an eight or seven and a half. But as long as you get the hook here, I'm okay with it. We'll stick to the SEC. LSU takes on Florida. This is another road team I like. LSU's played really well of late. We most recently saw them in their outing against Alabama, giving them a scare till essentially the very end of the game. This team has put it together on offense a little bit. They've played a tough stretch of games in the SEC. So going back to maybe the midpoint of January, they beat Ole Miss, which is a very good win for them. They played Texas A&M to four points. That's solid. Two-point game to Georgia in a loss. Then Alabama got them pretty badly the first time. They beat Arkansas. Semi-close game against Tennessee. That'll happen. It's an awesome team. And then they just stood up pretty well against Bama in their most recent contest. This team has narrowed their rotation, and we're seeing essentially Jalen Cook, Jordan Wright dominate the guard play. Jalen Cook played in their last game, and he played well after the injury. And then in the front court, you're getting awesome minutes out of Will Baker and Jalen Reed. 
So the rotation somewhat consolidating, in my opinion, has been good for this team. And you're starting to see them put up awesome point numbers. As far as this individual matchup goes against Florida, you'll need that height from Baker and some of the forwards we just talked about because Florida's third in effective height. Fortunately, LSU is seventh, especially with their depth. That's been key to them. And LSU actually has some shooting advantages almost across the board. Effective field goal percentage, LSU 78th. Florida's 146. On the interior, two-point percentage, LSU, they're 86th. Florida's 126th. From three, LSU is 117. Florida is 174. Now, Florida does have slight defensive edges in a lot of categories, but most of these are pretty slight. Like LSU on the inside, 70th. Florida's 81st. The biggest difference, I think, is from three. LSU is 212th. Florida is 109th. But the problem is Florida does not shoot a lot of threes. They're 240th in three-point rate. They're not very good at it. They're 174th in three-point percentage. A lot of the offensive efficiency from Florida comes strictly from rebounding. This this team is 10th in the country in rebounding. They attack the offensive glass extremely well. But again, LSU, 7th in effective height. This isn't exactly the best matchup for Florida on the glass. And then as far as some of the other little categories here, Florida, they do turn the ball over on offense a decent amount, 147th in turnovers committed. LSU forces a lot of turnovers. They're top 70 in the country there. Neither team fouls a ton. So I don't see that being a real risk. But as far as like edges go, this is a little closer than I think a lot of people are expecting, just looking at LSU's record, especially in conference. I do think they're a value here, and I'm looking to take them at a 10.5 number against the spread. It's enough points for me. Once it dips below 10, I'd have less interest. But man, two good offenses, fast offenses, and an LSU team that can shoot. Even if they're down early, they're not dead, and they're certainly alive for backdoors and comebacks. So we'll take LSU. Moving to the Big 12, UCF takes on BYU. We're going to talk a bunch of totals now. This is one towards the under that is my favorite of the group we'll talk about. A lot of this is just tempo related. So UCF has dealt with a lot of injuries. I think they're going to be mostly healthy in this spot. Only Diallo is questionable. But pacing-wise, this team is 136th on the year. If you isolate conference play, specifically the last six weeks, they dropped to 284. They've severely reduced their pace of play, and they're facing a BYU team that's remained pretty consistent. So I think right away you deal with some pacing issues in this spot, which is huge. And UCF, it makes sense for them to slow the game anyway. This team is 288th in effective field goal percentage. And what they do well is defend. This team defends the ball really everywhere. On the inside, they're 12th. That's where BYU scores most of their points. BYU is 7th in interior scoring, just two-point percentage. So UCF being 12th there is huge. They also got C.J. Walker back for the first time in a bit, 28 minutes in his return. He's going to be key on the inside when you're defending the BYU interior. And then this team also defends the perimeter fairly well. They're tall, 30th in effective height, whereas BYU is 47th. So BYU can't exploit the size advantage they have over a lot of teams. With pacing not adding up, under will be the play in this spot in this Big 12 matchup. Going to the ACC this time, we're going to keep looking at totals. Florida State takes on Virginia Tech. And this one, the pacing is a little bit better, but you've got a higher total to sort of offset this. Sitting at 152.5. As far as these teams go, pacing-wise, you do have pretty fast teams. And Florida State does most of this work, 35th in pace. VT is 184. 
when you isolate their most recent play, there's not really too many changes. FSU sped up a little bit, but it's pretty consistent here. The The big things I see in this game is just you have Florida State at 213th in effective field goal percentage. They do a lot of their work on the glass, and it's not exactly the best matchup for them there. VT's in the top 100 in effective height. So with Florida State really struggling to score, you're kind of really reliant on Virginia Tech to do most of the, the work here. 40th in effective field goal percentage is solid. But this team shoots a lot of threes. Florida State's a little better at defending that area of the court. This FSU team is 55th in overall effective defense. And one major mismatch they do have is turn, turning the ball over. They're 28th at turning over their opponents. Virginia Tech does not have a strong point guard. They're 183rd in turnovers committed, which is a big issue for this team. So with pacing being a little slower on the Virginia Tech side, they should be able to slow this game down. And if they get into any sort of like the turnover problems that Florida State can cause, looking at this one towards the under. Third straight under, we're going to stick in the same conference. We have North Carolina taking on Syracuse. If you're only betting a couple games today, this is not one I'd include. But if you're betting, you know, like 12 or so, like I am, I would throw this one on the end. There's one major concern, and it's the Syracuse front court. They lost Benny Williams. I don't know what he did, but he got kicked off the team. I just didn't care to look. And they were already pretty thin in that area with McLeod out. He's not coming back. Now you're just relying on Malik Brown and Chris Bell, so you're super thin, and you're facing two bigs in Harrison Ingram and Armando Baycott that are awesome at drawing fouls and putting the opposing team in a blender. Syracuse was already 283rd at defending the interior before they kicked off Benny Williams. So, I mean, this is a matchup North Carolina can exploit. And these teams play fairly fast, two top 45 teams in terms of pace. But a couple concerns. One, you don't always get Baycott showing up. I don't know which Baycott we'll see here, if it's the future Tupperware salesman or, I mean, the all-conference player that he's been. I don't know which one's going to come to the game. But this... I mean, it shows up in the stats, too. Like, North Carolina, 191st in two-point percentage. That's egregiously bad for having Baycott and Harrison Ingram. It, like, indefensibly bad. This It's a miracle this team has their record that they currently boast. Largely probably because they play in the ACC. But, man, you cannot be 191st in two-point percentage with Baycott and Ingram. It's indefensible. So, I don't know. Maybe they shoot themselves in the foot like they've done multiple times this year. As far as the guard play, that's where Syracuse is a little better. But man, this is similar to a couple other totals we talked about. If North Carolina doesn't do all the heavy lifting in this game, it's going under. Syracuse is 225th in effective field goal percentage. They're going to have no success inside. For all the struggles Baycott and Ingram have had on offense, they've been excellent on defense. 46th in interior defense. RJ Davis and company, excellent defending the three. They're 18th there. See very little paths to Syracuse scoring in this game, at least effectively. They'll be at a severe disadvantage on the interior Honestly, kind of talking myself into a North Carolina position, too. It's on the road, but maybe I'll end up taking this. Don't see any way Syracuse really slows them down. But I like the total because it's high, and North Carolina is going to have to do all the work themselves. Like, probably put up 80 or 90 points in this game to get there. Next up, we will – Let's. where are we going next? Whoops, pass one up. All right, there we go. Got myself organized. We're going to get to a couple greasy spots. First one. LaSalle taken on Davidson. This is another total. This is one that I think is pretty solid. One of the better totals we'll talk about. Pacing is horrific in this game. The total is 142. Under is where I'm looking. LaSalle is 193 in tempo. 
Davidson is 295, just egregiously slow teams. And neither team can score. Like effective field goal percentage, LaSalle is 252. Davidson is 233. I'm just not really seeing any other reason we need to talk about other than that. But if we want to dive into the weeds, interior scoring, LaSalle is 285. Davidson is 149 from three. LaSalle is 170. Davidson is 282. Davidson technically does have rebounding advantages. They're 25th in effective height. Somehow that's where LaSalle is better at defending. So, I mean, this is just a complete nightmare matchup for any overbackers. Pace is horrific. Scoring is very bad for both teams. Under is going to be the easy play and the easy click for me. Last one up. We're going to the Ohio Valley Conference. It's Tennessee State taken on Tennessee Tech. I don't know if this is a rivalry, but it's kind of a cool game. I don't understand the line in this one either. It's three and a half, three in some spots. I grabbed a three. I think you want to take this if you can. But even if it goes through like five, I show a ton of value on this. There's really no advantages Tennessee Tech has other than they've been kind of hurt this year. They're still kind of hurt. David Early's been out. I don't think he's coming back. He's the second best player on this team. Tennessee State has pretty elite playmakers. Like if you just isolate the players in this conference, Christian Brown's number five, Jason Jatobo is number seven. And then Tennessee Tech, they have one player in the top 30, and that's Rodney Johnson. So just immediate advantages Tennessee State's direction. And this team has basically every single efficiency advantage, as you can see on the screen, offense, defense, effective field goal percentages, 222 to 253. Height goes Tennessee State's direction. Rebounding, like everything here. This team is 81st in turnovers forced. Tennessee Tech is 197th in turnovers committed. The only thing maybe is Tennessee State gets in foul trouble a lot, but Tennessee Tech is 253 in fouls generated. They don't generate any fouls. So I'm surprised. Obviously, shop this. Get the best number you can. At Odd Shopper, we have all the tools necessary that you need to do this. Sort by state. Find the books you use. You use all the books possible is my advice, but take the best lines. It makes a huge difference for you. We also have tools, market-based approach to help you find plus EV betting spots across sports. Our discord's now included. It's all one package, $14.95 or a week, $49.95 for a month. I use it, makes a big difference, and it can make a big difference for you as well. Pays for itself in a short order. But to close this out, we'll have Tennessee State. A couple of throwaway games I'm looking at and may end up taking – Michigan, Illinois, I'm interested in the over 153 and a half. Pacing is solid in this game. My real concern is you don't have Doug McDaniel scoring because Michigan's on the road. He's still serving that weird road game suspension. But we've seen Illinois give up points, and this team is scoring with the best of them now that Terrence Shannon is back, coming off an awesome game himself in the recent, their most recent game against Michigan State. I want to take an under in Buffalo, Northern Illinois. I haven't because it's soaring upwards. Pacing is pretty good, but Buffalo, I mean, this is the worst team in the entire conference. They cannot score. And Northern Illinois is down multiple starters. I don't know if they return. So this could be one of those wait till the very last second, see who's actually playing. And if those guys are still out, you can back and under. Like Philmon Gebruit, the DePaul transfer, hasn't played in multiple games for Northern Illinois. If he's out, you might see Northern Illinois below their 186 effective field goal percentage. In Buffalo, they just speak for themselves. They're 319. Just an absolutely atrocious shooting team. But that'll do it. That's all I had for the extra so far. We'll continue to update throughout the day. Leave a comment if you have anything you'd like to say. It makes a big difference. Suggestions, whatever it is. If you have a question, reach out to me on Twitter at Matt underscore Gajeski. 
DMs are open. Until next time, good luck, everyone. We'll see you later.